BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. we live in can be a very strange place most of the time fact being stranger than fiction how will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time this is increase the reality with shane jones What is up, Inquirers? And welcome back to the infinitely fascinating Inquiries of Our Reality. Today's guest is someone I've been wanting to have on since the beginning of the show, a collector of not just encounters, but encounters from military personnel in some of the most remote areas in the world or where only authorized personnel are allowed, which sparks my interest considering who knows what could actually be out there in these locations where few have actually set foot. But... Before we can get into this awesome episode today, got to run through the front of house stuff and give you guys some news and updates. So for anybody that hasn't already picked up on it, uh, I will be speaking at Cryptid Halloween 2, put on by the Snarly U, and that's going to be a cryptid festival and Halloween craft show, and that will be October 28th from 12 to 6 in Charlestown, West Virginia. Uh, it is a free event. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be doing three separate speaking events. Uh, the first one is going to be us doing a specific topic. It's going to be a presentation that we're doing. Uh, the second one is going to be an interview with some of the uh, locals that have covered and learned all about Wizard Clip, which is a paranormal phenomenon that happens in West Virginia that I'm actually not too familiar with myself as of right now. And uh, the third one will be an open forum with anybody that wants to share their stories. Uh, I will also be leaving a notebook on my vending table. So if anybody doesn't want to come up and speak in front of everybody or they're scared to share their story or they don't want to have their face attached to it, you guys can just come by uh, anonymously, write down your story on the notebook, and then you know I can share it when we do that live forum. Um, like I said, it's a free event, so I'd love to see you guys there. If anybody's planning on coming, uh, let me know because I'd love to actually know you by face and name. But if you guys aren't going to be able to make it and you guys are still interested in seeing it, I will be hopefully uh, live broadcasting it and live streaming it onto YouTube or Facebook, something like that. And I will be recording it. So then after we're done uh, recording the event, um, I will put those 
three different presentations up individually onto YouTube. Um, I don't think I can put it up on TikTok, so it'll probably be way too long, but it'll definitely be on YouTube. So if you guys can't make it out, at least you guys can go and check it out over there. And then the uh, other new piece of information I guess you guys might be interested in hearing is that I will hopefully be dropping the new logo very soon here. It should hopefully be this week if it hasn't already dropped with this episode. Uh, so keep an eye out for that and make sure that you guys uh, don't end up uh, going, what the hell is this? And you know, unsubscribing or unfollowing the show because you don't know what it is. It's a revamped logo. It's really, really cool. It's been done by uh, Chris from Conspired Theory. So big shout out and thank you to Chris for doing such awesome work for me. And uh, he's going to be helping me with some other new logo updates and stuff in the future because he does awesome work. Uh, he's also the guy that did the squonk design for me that I used as Palooza, which should also hopefully be up on the merch store soon when I revamp that too. Uh, so yeah, big shout out to Chris and always appreciate it, man. And if anybody isn't familiar with like who Chris is, he's been on a few episodes of this show. So I highly recommend going and checking that out and going and checking out his show. Cause he does some great work over there as far as his podcast goes and, uh, moving on to the front of house stuff. If you guys haven't already left a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify, I would definitely appreciate it. Makes it so that more people are able to see the show and it help out, helps out the algorithm to make it so that it pops up for new listeners to find the show. And uh, if you guys leave a five-star review on iTunes, then I will read down the show and give you guys a big shout out. Uh, it's been a while since I've gotten one on iTunes. So if anybody doesn't mind dropping one for me, I would more than appreciate it. And don't forget to check out the show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Discord, and Telegram. Uh, for Instagram and Facebook, you're going to find the show under Increase of Our Reality. But as far as YouTube, TikTok, Discord, and Telegram go, I have everything under Open Minds Media. So it accompanies not just this show, but also Bizarre Encounters too. But great way to get updates on anything new going on with the show. And uh, if you guys want to share the show, I do post uh, short clips of the show on YouTube and TikTok. So it's a good way to share the show with a friend that if they may not listen to the full episode right away without giving getting a little bit of a snippet of it. And uh, as far as YouTube goes, I should have a lot more interesting stuff being uploaded on there, not just clips uh, such as the presentations I'm going to be doing. I do have a few squatch hikes and stuff that I can upload on there, but there's going to be a lot more going on with the YouTube. So make sure you guys uh, follow, subscribe, do all that to all the different areas of social media that I happen to be on. And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're an author, researcher, experiencer, contactee, uh, ex-military personnel that has weird stories, whistleblower, uh, cryptozoologist, or if, uh, you know, we do a lot of research into different other types of beings that exist around, if you maybe fit one of those categories, that would be a really cool thing to meet and have on the show. So if you fit any of those categories, shoot me a message, let's set something up. And, uh, even if you just want to have a conversation, share some weird stories, uh, share some weird theories, different things like that. You know, if you don't necessarily want to be an episode, I'd still love to hear it and make contact with you. And uh, if you guys want to contact me, you guys can always message me on Instagram, which is the form of social media that I'm the most active on. Or you guys can email me at inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. Uh, make sure you guys check your spam and junk folders. Make sure nothing gets missed because I do respond to every single email that I get from you guys. And uh, if you guys haven't already checked out Bizarre Encounters, which is the other show that I do, I wouldn't say that's my second show because both shows are kind of treated equally in my eyes, but it's a great show. I do it with uh, my awesome co-host, Oren. Uh, we deep dive into a bunch of different uh, Bizarre Encounters as the title of the show tends to go. Uh, we do have some interviews over there. Mainly, we've been doing deep dives lately. Uh, we make a lot of jokes and have a lot of fun in the process, but we also get down to the nitty gritty when it comes to theories and weird stuff. So it's a really fun show. I look forward to recording every week. So hopefully you guys are checking out if you haven't already. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do all in one place, be it this show and Bizarre Encounters and any other project that I do in the future, make sure you guys keep your uh, eyes and ears out for 
Open Minds Media on Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. And then, like I said, the YouTube, TikTok, Discord, and Telegram are all set up through Open Minds Media. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys can uh, become Patreon members and join the awesome ranks of Brian, Brandy, Floyd, Riley. Uh, there's a lot of awesome people over there. Um, and I just saw recently that there it was an option to add a chat over on Patreon. So if you guys wanted to, you guys could pop over and talk to those awesome people. Uh, like-minded individuals, of course. So who knows what kind of interesting conversations you guys and I might get into. Uh, but with the Patreon, you'll get things such as early access to shows, ad-free episodes of shows, uh, lives of shows, live replays of shows, and uh, exclusive merch store discounts. Uh, and if you guys want to support the show in a different way, you guys can always donate directly to the show through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And all of that goes back towards the show, makes it so that I can go to more events, be able to get out and meet more of you guys. None of it's lining my pocket. It's all going back towards the show itself to help keep growing and promoting the show. And uh, you guys can also go and get yourself some awesome merch from the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, I will be revamping that soon, considering the new logo and everything. And I do have it under... Uh, Teespring slash Inquiries of Our Reality podcast. And I want to make it Open Minds Media to make it less confusing since that is the Open Minds Media merch store. So the current merch store is still active. Uh, when I revamp the new one and make the new one, then I'll delete the old one. So as long as that link's still working, you guys can use that. But as soon as I update and make the new merch store, I'll add that into the link tree. So you guys will see when it happens or you guys won't even notice when it happens, but it's going to get revamped. So keep an eye out over there. Check it out. Uh, the new logo, I think will make an awesome t-shirt. So I think a lot of you guys might enjoy it even more so than the new logo or than the old logo. And uh, there's other ways you guys can support the show. Of course, uh, just interacting with the show, uh, letting me know what you guys think of certain episodes, uh, sharing the show. Uh, there's a million ways to help support podcasts, uh, not just financially, but just uh, community-wise. And that goes for not just this show, but any podcast that you guys enjoy, because I know I've said it on a few episodes, but I've seen a lot of podcasts come and go. And you know we see the numbers and everything. We know you guys are listening, but it's a little bit different when you actually hear what the people listening to your show are actually thinking of it. And you know, sending a message to, again, not just this show, but any podcast might be the saving grace that makes it so that podcast sticks around. So if you guys really enjoy a podcast, interact with it, support it in any way, shape, or form. It's the only way that we're going to continue to be around and be able to uh, keep putting out awesome content for you guys. And uh, speaking of awesome stuff and awesome content, you guys, don't forget to go and check out Joe over there at Crypto Theology. As usual, always killing it with the new merch designs. He just recently dropped a new one for the Jersey Devil and the Snarly U. Uh, super duper cool. I think you guys are really going to enjoy those because I enjoy them. I'm probably going to be scooping them. So I'm sure if anybody watches the show on the live replay on the Patreon or the lives, you guys will probably see me wearing those shirts pretty soon. But yeah, Joe's always killing it. So go and check him out. You know that 90% of my wardrobe is crypto theology, and I'm sure if you guys dig through his uh, web store, your prize will probably be feeling the same way because he has a lot of really awesome work over there. And actually, he will be a guest soon on the show, so you guys can get a little bit more of a one-on-one -on -one and understand who Joe is and where he's coming from. Awesome dude. And uh, hopefully he sticks around the community for as long as possible. And speaking of that, also, he will be vending with me at the uh, Snarly U's Halloween uh, cryptid event. So if you guys are coming out to that, you guys can also come and meet Joe too, scoop some of his t-shirts and just keep supporting all of us uh, smaller creators, of course. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, Nick Orton from Tales from the Grid Square. How's it going today, man? How's it going, man? How's, how's everything? Thanks for having me on. 
Oh, it's fantastic, man. I've been trying to get you on the show for a long time, so I was really looking forward to this one because even before I started my podcast, man, I heard you on other people's shows, and you were one of the people that I've been trying to get on for a while. So I'm glad we finally got around to doing it, man. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm pretty busy, so it's hard sometimes to pin me down, so I apologize. Oh, no worries, man. I know how it is, especially considering that you're like military and all that. I know you guys are different time zones, completely off from what I, where I'm at. Uh, I know you guys just have constant stuff going on, so no hard feelings, nothing like that, man. I'm just, like I said, excited to finally get you on the show, man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. So uh, for anybody that may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, uh, why don't you fill them in a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm uh, Nick Orton. I'm, I guess, owner, operator, proprietor, what have you, uh, at main, only admin of Tales from the Grid Square on Instagram. Uh, so Tales from the Grid Square is a kind of project I run where I collect and document the stories, uh, like, well, paranormal or not normal stories or however you want to phrase it, of uh, military members and sometimes their families of what they experience either, you know, on military bases, overseas in combat zones, on training, um, everything from like ghostly encounters to I just like a re- reincarnate stories of reincarnation um, to, you know, cryptid sightings and full blown UFOs. So uh, what kind of inspired you to start collecting these stories in the first place? Did you have like a personal encounter or you just have like a fascination with this kind of stuff? Yeah, so a little bit of both. Uh, I've like had a huge fascination, fascination, sorry, uh, in this topic, these topics and you know, subjects ever since I was a kid, I think I've, I've said on other podcasts, like, you know, I, I re- tried to read communion. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. It's about an alien abduction. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I like, I read that when I was like probably like 10 or 12, I can't remember, but I was like, Oh look, there's an alien on it. That's so cool. Uh, I didn't of course understand any of it. Uh, Cause it was a little above me at that time, but I just had this huge interest in like every, I had books about Bigfoot, UFOs, ciphers, Lost Treasures. I just love that, like, fringe part of history and science of, like, you know, the unexplained or, like, you know, the the questionable out there. Um, and uh, being in the military, you know, I've had, like, some, some small minor experiences. And just in my life, I've had a few, like, what I consider now paranormal experiences. Um, and, you know, and for, like, your listeners and so, some of the people that, who may be in the military or were in the military could probably get know where I'm coming from. Is, you know, sometimes uh, like on those late nights, you're hanging out or you're on duty, or you're in the field or you're bored and you're just trying to like break up the time and stay awake. You know, inevitably, you know, somebody starts talking about the weird stuff they've seen, like the weird stories or, you know, uh, like how they've seen a ghost or like how the soldiers always say like the barracks are haunted or like how the engine room on the ship is haunted or how there was a UFO scene like when they were on patrol somewhere or how like a guy saw a Bigfoot in a training event and inevitably like one of those stories comes out where you experience it for yourself. Um, and I was kind of inspired by a factor of all that. Uh, it kind of started during COVID. Uh, so there's on Instagram, there's, you know, pages for every niche imaginable of the military and it's just like in real life. And there's two pages, uh, that started, uh, you know, on Tuesday during the lockdown, they would like request DMS, of people that had paranormal experiences and they'd repost them. It was just like a thing for everyone to like, you know, take their mind off of being the lockdown. Um, so fast forward a couple of months after that, that kind of inspired me because I was actually surprised by how many stories I saw. Uh, I kind of had my own experience. And it's, in, in my opinion, it's actually pretty boring. Uh, but it's how it connects to others that kind of inspired me to start the, uh, the project. 
And so, you know, I started off really small. I think like two years ago, I think I had like less than like 500 followers. And I think I'm sitting at like 116K like today. It's pretty, it's pretty funny how it's that popular and how many people actually have stories to share. Especially military members too. That's just, it brings in another facet to it. Cause as far as like police, military members, they have a particular way of remembering and retelling stories and they make sure that they collect every like finite important detail. So it just, it's that much cooler because it's not just, you know, standard people. It's people who are trained to observe and to record stuff. So just the stories just have so much more detail compared to like standard uh, stories collected by like civilians. Yeah. And I think um, it's too, it's, I, I get, you know, a lot of people in the military are going to be like kind of tight-lipped about this and, you know, about these subjects and not, not because there's like some ulterior motive or like, you know, some sinister motive behind it, but more along the lines of, you know, people just don't want to be like looked at as weirdly, you know, people don't want to be questioned in their sanity and whatnot. So a lot of people kind of like bottle this stuff up when they see like really strange and fascinating and sometimes horrible things, uh, most much like, you know, PTSD in combat. Uh, a lot of people bottle these things up and kind of like live with them with the fear of sharing it, right? Because uh, I've known plenty of guys that I've talked to that were like, yeah, I've shared this story with people I consider my close friends before in the military. And, you know, like I was ridiculed, you know, they made fun of me. So it's like um, the page because nobody, nobody calls in, nobody like, uh, like there's not like that off chance. Somebody's going to recognize your voice. Uh, like, you know, you send me a story, you type it out, like, it's plausible deniability on your end. It's it's completely anonymous. Um, so that way, you, you could just get something off your chest. Uh, and that's how I kind of approach it. And, you know, people could share stuff, and, you know, maybe there is a logical explanation for what they saw. And maybe there is no explanation, but maybe, like, ten other people at different time periods and different places saw the same thing at that same area. Have you ever had one of those experiences where somebody shares a story and then like three other people share a story of like the same thing that kind of brings a little bit of validity and different angles to the oh, same yeah. encounter? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I was just on the confessionals with Tony Merkel uh, and I posted about a, a dogman encounter that was seen by like multiple soldiers on the same night over the course of a few nights. Um, and it was all these guys in different parts of the same area that saw the same thing. And uh, there's a lot like that, too. You get, Or you get, like, a lot of... You start seeing a theme develop of uh, people reporting the same thing from the same places over and over again. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, all right, is this just, like, one gigantic practical joke that's gone too far? Or is there something, like, legitimately here? I'd love to dig into some of those for sure because I want to be able to kind of touch base on a little bit of each of the different phenomenons that you've covered. But before we get too far away from it, you said that you had your own experience, even if it isn't anything crazy or fantastic. I'm sure the listeners would love to hear it. Yeah, so, like, besides, like, growing up as a kid, like, you know, having some haunted house experiences, and, um, you know, I, I just, I saw what I believed to be a UFO in 2013 over the, the North Atlantic. Um, I, uh, when I was in the, I joined the Army, and I went to, what, well, what was then called Fort Polk, now known as Fort Johnson, uh, which is in Louisiana, uh, outside of Shreveport, and I believe the town is, ah, oh, man, I forgot the name of, the, uh, Leesville. Right outside Leesville, Louisiana. And Fort Polk is this massive, like, military base that has this massive training area where, like, the army pretends to go fight a war. So, like, units go there. It's like a 30... They do these 30-day rotations where they go there, and they practice basically, like, deploying to a, quote-unquote, foreign country, like, setting up, pushing into a foreign country, fighting, like, the bad guy, which is us. It's, like, just other Americans. 
um, and then redeploying. And so it's huge, like, area of swamplands and forests and just kind of like middle of nowhere Louisiana that the military kind of roams around. Um, and so I was there in 2021, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was 2021. Um, and I was attached to a unit. Um, and, you know, uh, long, to make a long story short, the experience was, you know, I was, I was out one night um, sitting in a tent. I had an individual tent. I was kind of like sleeping away from everybody. Um, I had my red light on. I was getting ready to, uh, you know, go to bed, take off my boots. And a pine cone lands at my feet. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm underneath a pine cone tree, right? I'm underneath a tree. Like, there's pine cones. Another pine cone lands at my feet a couple seconds later. And then another. And then I was like, oh, man, this the wind must be really blowing. Knock these pine cones down. <laughs> and uh, I look up. I just get this inkling to look up. And I look up. And out of the darkness, I see this pine cone come flying at my face. I think it actually hit me. Um, so that's one of the details I think is funny. Uh, <laughs> right so, in the forehead. <laughs> right in the forehead. So I shut off my light, um, and I like hit the deck. So like at Fort Polk, there's these guys that you know that their whole job out there is to fight us, right? So they know like every trick in the book, and they know all of our all of like the tactics and doctrine, and they know how to like get past it all because that's their job. Um, so I, that's what I thought it was. Like I was like, I'm about to get jumped. <laughs> captured and never lived this down um so like i lay in my tent and i like get ready to like fight someone who's gonna come and get me pull me out of my tent and like all these pine cones and rocks start landing on my tent and i'm like what the hell like this is great so i take i like unzip it i take my mvgs and i look out try to see like who's there and you know, i see stuff like flying out of the woods but i can't see anything back there at all i flash like an ir flashlight i can't see any eye shine or nothing like that um and there's like a ravine so, you know, maybe something ducked down, ducked down in there. It's like a, a, like a valley that goes down and comes back up on the other side. Uh, so, like I said, it was weird. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Um, woke up the next morning. Nothing else happened the rest of the night. Woke up the next morning, reported it. Uh, it was kind of, like, laughed at because, like, oh, yeah, the Op 4 is not – that's what they're known as. Like, the Op 4 is not out here. That's what they're not doing. Like, the guys that were in charge, known as the OCTs, were kind of like, no, the Op 4 run out here. Just forget about the pinecone thing. Uh, well, it turns out further down for me about uh, a couple, a couple hundred feet was the rest of the people sleeping. And all the people over there reported all night having stuff thrown at their tents. <laughs> um, so maybe it was the op for, maybe not. Uh, what's funny is I had another buddy who was kind of like in the same area. And, you know, after the fact, we were talking with each other and I mentioned this story and he kind of like gets really serious and he's like, Where, when was this? And I tell him the time and, our t- and he, he basically, so basically the same day, the same night uh, that I was describing. So across that ravine and valley, right, was where he was on the other side. In the same scenario like me, sleeping away from everyone else uh, in his in his tent along the p- perimeter. Um, the same thing happened to him. He had a bunch of these pine cones and stuff thrown at him all night. And uh, it gets even weirder is his story kind of like gets weirder. Uh, and this is, this is what inspired, like really kind of connected the dots and got it weird for me. Uh, was, you know, he started later in the rotation at different points, he started hearing, like, weird howls and screams in the woods. He started hearing, like, weird weird stuff. He started seeing, like, figures peeking out behind trees. And, like, you would think, like, oh, it's just the op force, the bad guys coming to come get you. Well, he, he, he and other soldiers saw his words, you know, a massive human shape, like, darting between the trees. Um... And he, the, like one of the last nights he was out there, uh, like something came up to his tent in the middle of the night and like loomed over his tent. And it was like, you know, he's like six, five big man. 
this thing was bigger than him. And it was like leaning down and looking to his tent. It freaked him the hell out. It was like probably one of the most only times I ever saw him actually like visibly upset um, to make a long story short. And, you know, you're probably wonder you're, you're probably guessing what that sounds like. Yeah, I was going to say, this is actually, you may not think it's that great of a story, but Skunk Apes, that's what it sounds like to me, especially considering yeah. it was in Louisiana. And I don't come across too, too many people have had Skunk Ape encounters. So it's ultra fascinating to me. I, w- I was even going to ask if he, by chance, uh, you said he saw like a man figure kind of bouncing out of the woods and stuff. Did he notice like long hair or anything that kind of looked shaggy on it by chance? So he didn't, I didn't get any of that detail from him, but I did look it up and there for a long, long time were sightings, and I guess t- t- still to this day in the Leesville, Louisiana area of a Bigfoot-like creature, um, and still seen around Fort Polk as well. I think I found stories that went back to like the 60s and 80s of, you know, people seeing like large hairy men running around in the woods. Uh, so it makes me wonder, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't the op for it. Maybe it was just like some little Sasquatch skunk ape all pissed off at me in the training area throwing pine cones at me i mean realistically if you guys don't use that area too too often i mean you could have been right in his backyard and typical sasquatch behavior if they don't actually want to hurt you but rather just kind of scare you away they're usually known for like throwing objects yeah and so like fort polk is like that that's like the tip of the iceberg for like the weird things that happen at fort polk uh everything from like shadow people to ghosts to whispers to women in white uh, there's this thing called the box switch. And so like either the box, depending who you talk to, the box switch is a singular entity, a like voodoo woman, a, wi- a literal witch that was like, they tried to chase off the land and she ended up dying out there and now she haunts it. Or it's like a collective term for like all these like stories that happen out there. Like I, I talked to these guys that played in the op four and they said one time they were just hanging out there. They're patrolling through the woods and something comes crashing to the tree, the trees and like slams it to the ground. And it's this massive block of ice, like as big as a man. Like, where did it come from? Yeah, it's just sitting up in the uh, tree, right? (laughs) Yeah, just like, where did it fall? Like, this is this is insane. Like, and there's there's other weird stuff that I talked to some other guys that fell asleep in a barn, and I actually know where this barn is because I saw it. And this that whole the when I was there for three days next to this barn, that whole area gave me like kind of like the heebie-jeebies. Is that in the middle of the training area? Yeah, so it's up up in what's known as Peace on Ridge, which is, like, way far away from the base. Um, and it's kind of detached from everything in the middle of nowhere. Like, a lot of old abandoned farm farmhouses. Uh, but there was one that we that, that people slept in, and they said that there's, like, like 12 guys sleeping in this barn to get out of the rain. And all of them had the same dream where they were, like, stuck in a barn on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised and, they didn't uh, get like sleep paralysis or something after that too. It seems like yeah. weird dreams like that as a group go hand in hand with sleep paralysis. That was like also the first time I saw orbs out there. Uh, I was like standing security with a bunch of other people and I started seeing, I saw all these lights in the trees. Um, a lot of people just thought they were drones, but they were like literally like balls of red, blue and green light. Like most definitely not a drone. It was, they're also silent and they were like moving very like soft light, like lazily, like through the trees, like weaving around and I was like, yeah, those are not drones, man. Like that, that, what is that? Just it's out of place for sure. Just out of curiosity too, man, because I've always, I've been fascinated with this whole orbs concept and everybody kind of has a different opinion on it. Just obviously nobody knows for sure, but if you had to guess, what kind of base do you sit in as far as like what you think the orbs might be? I don't know. That's like, yeah, that's a, I, I really don't, I really don't know what to tell you because I've seen like the pictures of what people call orbs and in my opinion, just sometimes looks like dust. Or like you know a bug f- flying by, but uh, 
like that I legitimately like you know I could say you could say it was like lightning bugs but there are lightning bugs all around me and they're all that like very noticeable distinct like yellowish light that mm-hmm. they give off and these things like were blue green red and moving not like fireflies and also like bright as in like I could notice them and I'm watching this and then like not like in, to the point but they're they're so like it's they weren't bright enough like they were casting like shadows if that makes sense no yeah that makes complete sense no those things are uh one of those things it's really hard to put them in a particular camp because you have like paranormal people that look into them you got sasquatch people that look into them uh and then you have the other people that are into the whole extraterrestrial concept that look into them they kind of seem like they kind of touch bases in multiple places so i almost feel like it's not one set answer it kind of depends on the type of orb like there might be different types of orbs yeah uh, maybe i don't know like uh, it was definitely like uh, what it reminded me the most of was if you ever played that video game like metro 2033 or stalker mm-hmm, of course Shadow, you remember the anomalies yep that's what it reminded me of <laughs> no i could completely just see like, that just something out there just it wasn't as big as in the game or dramatic but it was just like this ball of light out there just tooting around like doing its own thing dude i thought uh, you'll have to try it if you ever see him again but i've heard a lot of people say that if you hit him with a light that they'll move away from it not like a normal light but like a laser light uh, and that's usually every time somebody says they've seen orbs i usually throw that idea at him because i want to see what somebody i want to see somebody try that and see what happens because i've had one research on a long time ago that said whenever you hit him with that they try to get away from the laser light so it's a good way of kind of seeing if they're intelligent or if they're just you know maybe a reflection off of something you ever seen the video of the guy shooting a laser in the sky at like a like an object moving across like high in the sky and they like shine a laser at it and it like literally stops and doubles back like it does a 180 like loop and like hovers right next to the laser and they all start freaking out. it's like <laughs> you know it looks like a satellite or a plane it's moving and then all of a sudden it goes zoop, like does this complete u-turn and stops like right at the laser and they're all they're, everybody's like what the hell? <laughs> like it noticed it almost makes you wonder if it thinks it's like a signal or something or if it's like uh maybe they don't know what it is and they're trying to figure out what it is <laughs> yeah also for the listeners for the record please do not sign shine lasers at military aircraft <laughs> they, yeah. will, they will find you <laughs> probably not a good idea but i guess the hard part is if it's a ufo it could go either way you know it could be something extraterrestrial or it could be a military craft so maybe just yeah. ufos in general just try not to shine lights at them <laughs> They also have infrared lasers that are stronger than yours. Do not, do not, do not shine them. So either you're going to piss off an, a military member or you're going to have an extraterrestrial come down and try to abduct you. So either way, probably not a good yeah. scenario. So maybe oh, don't try it. Scenario. <laughs> try it with the orbs, not the, not the UFOs. <laughs> so uh, kind of moving forward a little bit into some of the weird stories you've collected, because I find a lot of them absolutely fascinating. Uh, I guess a good spot to start with it is... What is some your, probably your personal favorite, like off the wall, weird one that you've covered? And then I'd like to kind of touch base on a little bit of everything because I know that you got some giant stuff, you got some cryptid stuff. So I guess we'll kind of run the gambit on the best stories that you remember off the top of your head. Then, oh yeah, for sure. Um, I just posted one recently that I really enjoyed, uh, mainly because it was just kind of creepy with what I was able to look into it. Uh, so this one's uh, re- like bombs over Bremen, right? Um, so if, the story goes, <laughs> for the past five or so years, on certain nights, my dad has had several dreams all about one World War II bomber mission. He doesn't remember the very first dream, but when he woke up from that 
dream, the phrase bombs over Bremen was stuck in his head. And the second dream, the B-17 Fox bomber that he was he was on was getting hit by flak. And the plane was shrieking and, sh and shaking, and there were a lot of screaming and yelling over the comms. He was the left waist gunner, and he could only really focus on shooting down fighters. Suddenly behind him, there was a huge explosion, and the plane lurched. He had shrapnel on his legs, but kept standing. He turned around to check on the other waist gunner, and he was gone. The right waist gunner position took a direct hit from the flak burst, and the right waist gunner and everything surrounding him was gone. In his third dream, the bomber is approaching Bremen, and they had a good flight so far, and no one was injured. After they had dropped their payload, the flak started. It was the most flak he had ever seen, and the whole sky was black. When he was a boy, he drew pictures of a place called Northumberland. For the longest time, he thought he had made the place up, but he later found out it's a real region in northern England, and it was home to several airfields used during World War II. He even drew the towers in these pictures that matched up uncannily well with the observation towers that some of those bases had. At that point in his life, he had never been to Northumberland, or even England, but perhaps he'd been there in a past life. When he was six, he met now a now lifelong friend of his, and the first time they met, he felt like he knew him already. It was like a reunion of, so reunion of sorts. When he had the second Bremen dream, he knew the second waste gunner was him. He met another friend much more recently and also had this kind of connection with, like he felt like he had known him forever. My dad immediately knew that the, he was that man was the tail gunner on the B-17. He's done a whole bunch of research since World War II bombing raids since. World War II bombing is over Bremen. He learned that the Bremen was a key manufacturing uh, city for the German war effort. The Bremen raid that he believes he dreamt about took place on October 7th, 1942. The 8th Army Air Corps lost 30 planes that day, and he believes he was on one of them. He's gotten so far to identify a name that matched from what he remembers in his dream. He remembers the dream, the Piccadilly Lily. He doesn't have enough information to confirm this, as he can't find an account of a rice, right waste gunner taking a direct hit from the flat. Well, that's because it's likely everybody on the bomber was killed. But how could my dad with no zero with zero military experience dream this up? May think this is all a bunch of nonsense, but the way he recounts these events makes it all seem so real. So I was able to do some research and the Piccadilly Lily was a real aircraft. It was a B-17 Fox known as the Piccadilly Lily serial number 425864. It was lost on October 8th over the city of Bremen. <laughs> it took off, dropped bombs on target. Uh, so, according to the timeline of events, um, a Captain Thomas E. Murphy took off. At 11.30, it leaves the English coast. At 14.53, crossed the European coast 10 miles, 10 miles from the target, experienced a fighter attack. At 15.15, it reaches the initial point. At 15.21, drops its bombs. At 15.21, it gets separated from the group, and then later after that, it's sighted with its number three engine on fire and exploded. It explodes, resulting in the death of six of the 11 crew members, and another five were captured. And, yeah, there's like, uh, there's a whole, like, you could look this up, like, there's, like, it basically matches up with a man's dream. It was hit by flak after it dropped its bombs, it was attacked by fighters beforehand, and once the, I guess, like, the flyers cleared out, and then the flak started. And so I was able to look up the three men. Like I could even find the three names of the men. Elder D. Dickinson was a waste gunner. Gerald O. Robinson was the other waste gunner. And Aaron A. David was the tail gunner. And so if you're to believe after these men had all, had all died on the plane, because five of them were captured. Six of them died. Five crew members were captured as POWs. And uh, 
the five confirmed that the six were all, all were killed on the plane. So this guy was having premonitions of something that he wasn't even necessarily like involved in. That's kind of interesting. I yeah. wonder what his like tie was to it, why he'd have these premonitions. If we believe in reincarnation, maybe he died and came back to life, you know? That is true. Yeah, that is, that's a really weird one. That's, uh, that fits, fits in with a lot of categories, too. And that one's a little bit different than I feel like most stories that I've read from you as far as more of it being like creature sightings. I don't really hear too, too many yeah. from you that you tell on other shows as far as uh, like premonition type stories. That's like one of the few I've gotten, uh, but I find that one very fascinating just because like either he did the man did his research and is bullshitting me or, you know, his dad really, you know, really experienced this stuff. But I kind of lean towards really experiencing it because uh, my grandfather is, um, you know, is in his 80s, his, his 90s, um, was in the army, but never f was a pilot. Right. But he has had this fascination with World War One and World War Two aviation. Um, and he says that when he was a kid, he would have dreams without ever seeing an air before he ever saw an airplane and knew what it was. He would have dreams of being a, 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 a biplane, like a, like an old World War One fighter, specifically flying a red, a red air, a red triplane, which would be a German aircraft. And before he even knew what an aircraft was, because he was just, you know, a young rancher boy from Mexico. Um you know, but by the time he first saw an airplane, he realized what it was. But as a kid, he had all these dreams of, you know, being a fighter pilot over Europe somewhere, like fighting other aircraft. See, I'm kind of curious if it is a premonition dream or if it's more so one of those things that the person, the people that died, their story was never told as far as like what happened when they went Ooh. down. So I wonder if it's one of those things that maybe like the spirit of them kind of like needs their story to get out before they can pass on. So they find somebody who's interested in the topic. And once they kind of start getting close to it, then they kind of put the put it in their head so that somebody at least knows their story. That's actually I, I never thought about that idea either. Say, at least for your grandpa, that I mean, that one might might make a little bit more sense, too. Because, uh, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the time when it comes to, um, like, the World War II stuff, it's just that it was such a dramatic war altogether that there's, like, that whole residual haunting concept kind of left around it. So, in turn, I mean, I feel like these things might just constantly be replaying in certain areas and maybe people are able to pick up on it. Or, like I said, too, maybe it's uh, people have an untold story that they need somebody to know, so they just implant it in a kid's head possibly just because kids are a little bit more connected with that side and as you get older you're less connected with it so they just kind of take the opportunity while they have it especially if the kid's interested in the topic oh yeah no that's actually not a not a bad idea i like that idea <laughs> gotta throw new ideas at you man that's what i like doing on the oh, show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh kind of diving into some more of the weird stuff i know that you have some like giant stuff you have some sasquatch stuff uh, what, what's kind of your favorite that fit into some of those categories? Because I definitely uh, want to cover some of the giant stuff because giant stuff in the military uh, definitely sparks interest in me, especially all the stuff in like the Middle East because all of that, those mountain ranges, there's so much question about it. And there's even like the locals that'll tell people stories about we don't go into this mountain area, mountain range area because there's giants there. Like there's just so much to it that I love hearing any military member story as far as like weird sightings of giants go like in the Middle East, for example. Yeah, so I um so up front so that everybody knows or most people know about the the legend of the giant of Kandahar. Um so I'll be up front and say like for a long time I didn't really buy into the legend. Uh just because like the story involving the military members and special operations and you know, I just was very cliched and had a lot of tropes to it. Um 
See, I've sat on the fence on that one for a while. It's like, I want to believe it, but there is still some question because it is such an extravagant story. But the, you know, like the person that's into this weird stuff, I I, want to believe it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, same. Yeah. It's just like, so like I tell people too, a lot of times, like there's stories, like I I grew up in like the internet age and the creepypasta age and like, you know, stuff that's mainstream now. I remember reading about when, like when I was a kid, right. You know, and then part of like the military stuff is like some of the stories. So like for your listeners, like a common trope is if like, you know, the Rangers, it's for whatever reason, it's always like the Rangers. It really is fighting, <laughs> fighting these like things. And so like, I know Rangers, let me tell you, they are very busy. There, there is, I don't think they have time to go hunt Sasquatch and shit in the woods and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, Cause those guys have like an insane training schedule and, and also just are an insane group of people. So if, I mean, if like, if some of them bagged a, a Sasquatch or a giant, like, yeah, we'd know about it because they would not be able to keep quiet about that. <laughs> no matter how hard the military tried. Like, these, these are the people that used to rob banks in, like, uh, <laughs> in uh, Seattle for fun in the 80s. It's a true story. You can look that up. I think it was, what was the 80s. Do, is, so, just out of curiosity, are you saying that, like, a lot of Rangers are, like, ex-criminals and that's the reason why they no, kind of joined no. it or something? Or? No, no, no. I was just saying, like, these guys are crazy. These guys, like, live for the thrill. You know, like, it's just like you and I. If you and I went and we bagged a Sasquatch and some goon came and said, like, you got to keep quiet. Like, here, sign this NDA. Do you think Do you think we would keep quiet? <laughs> I would definitely come up with some kind of fake name, change my voice, something. Oh, yeah, I'd have to absolutely. tell somebody. <laughs> I would be like, I killed Sasquatch. I killed the Yeti. You know what I mean? Like, um, no, nah, these these guys, these, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's. I've met, I've known a lot of people. A lot of them are extremely, I'm not trying to say they're criminals or anything like that, but thrill seekers. Uh, no, they're, they're thrill seekers, extremely down to earth individuals that are out there, like, you know, looking for adventure and looking for thrills. And uh, I don't know what it is, but all these legends of like, you know, it's always like Rangers encounter, you know, vampires, Rangers encounter hyperborean giants in Antarctica and stuff like that. Um, so there's like tropes to keep a lookout. And that's, that's one of them. Um, the story, there's some details in the story that just sound very convenient for me. Uh, like, you know, an entire U.S. patrol going missing. It's hard to hand wave, you know, uh, especially in the modern era. But the, the story itself, I, I look at in a different light because of the page. Uh, because one of the very first stories I ever received uh, was something having to deal with a giant. And so I'll go ahead and read the story. It's like one of the first stories ever posted in uh, at, uh, close to it's in July 16th, 2021. Um, I posted this story called the giant of Kunar. And so this is from a gentleman who was in uh, the Kunar province of Afghanistan. So <clears throat> I was deployed as an infantry team leader with the army in the Kunar province of Afghanistan from 2008 to 2009. One night we set in, set in on an observation patrol to overlook a village that we suspected IEDs were coming in and out of. Due to a successful IED recovery a few weeks prior, my LT gave me a new thermal imaging system called the Recon 3 that none of us were familiar with and told me to figure it out and that I can pass along the information that I learned to the other team leaders. I started messing around, messing, out, messing around with the Recon 3 to see its capabilities, and I was surprised by the clarity of the images and the clarity of the zoom on it. I spent most of the time messing with the different functionalities and watching the village. I started to look around the valley to see what I could see, that led me to look along a spur that we had set in on and saw a very large heat signature at the top of one of the false peaks. I did everything I could to get as clear of an image as I could, suspecting that it was a group of Taliban huddled together on a, a light that they tend to do in the mountains. 
All of a sudden, though, the heat signature stood up as one being. The trees in that area grew to be about 10 to 12 feet tall, and this thing was at least as tall, if not more elevated, than the trees that surrounded it. It started taking steps parallel to my position and was covering ground quickly with ease. Its stride was slow and relaxed, yet it moved incredibly fast. That led me to believe that this creature was truly gigantic. It quickly traversed the, the landscape, and I lost sight of it along a neighboring spur. I did not believe what I saw initially, assuming that I had only imagined it and that I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. I didn't tell many people about it when I deployed or even in the army, and I kept it to myself thinking that I couldn't go, I couldn't see what I saw. But in 2010, after I got out of the army, I listened to a coast-to-coast -coast radio, and I heard the story of a C-130 pilot talking about a similar creature. The memory came flooding back to me, and it also made me consider the other things I saw during my time in service. The C-130 pilot discussed the creature in detail and said that it had fire orange hair, and that it reminded me of a tradition the locals would do but would not speak of where they would dye their hair orange and dye the hair of their goats orange. It seemed like they would do this once in a while, and then when they would do this, all of a sudden, the goats would be gone, as well as the orange out of their hair. I didn't put two and two together, assuming it was a weird cultural thing I didn't understand, but it now makes me wonder if that was some kind of gesture to the creature or Nephilim, or if the goats were sacrificed to it. I am a creature, and the Bible briefly discusses the Nephilim, aka, aka the men of renown. I think that that's what I saw. It's an ancient race of giants and descendants of fallen angels. Or it could be a Sasquatch-like creature. I'm not sure. Of course, I only saw it on thermals, but it didn't appear to be hairy like what you'd expect a Sasquatch to look like. It just looked like a large naked man. Say, those ones are, uh, it, it fits the idea where it seems like most people who have seen giants, most stories of giants, they always seem to have the red hair. So, I mean, either one, they're kind of collecting that from other places, or two, there is really, really something to it. And that yeah. was like some of the stuff I was talking about as far as like people in the Middle East go, that they have all these like legends that are based around these things and like explain where the goats went. I mean, unless there's some guy in the village that's really trying hard to keep something up, like there's something weird to it. And the only thing I could find, I looked up, I tried to look it up. The only thing I could find is it, it they do dye their hair certain colors corresponding to certain holidays in the, is the Islamic faith. But orange wasn't one of the colors. But orange is also a popular color in Afghanistan that elder men usually dye their hair. So who knows? Maybe maybe the orange means something, like you said. I mean, it could be an oral tradition more so than anything, too, because, I mean, yeah. it may not be something that spreads across the entire country. It may be something that's specific to that village, and it might be more oral in that village and maybe just passed down for years. Um, there may not be necessarily, like, a reason to, like, have it written down and to carry on the story. They're more so want to keep it hush-hush so that they can just kind of keep this giant at bay and then call it a day. Because, assumably, if they are, like, the men of renown or, like, Nephilim, things like that, um, you have all of these stories about people coming after the giants and killing the giants. So, I mean, I've talked about it a few times on the show. I feel like just as much as humans want to hide the whole concept of giants giants want to hide themselves just as much because they know that you know 10 humans can take out one giant so they don't want to take the chance of even running the risk of it because if they are around they probably are very close to being extinct if not just about extinct already that's a good point and i mean you hear all these like biblical stories of them killing the giants like david and goliath uh like just every single facet of stories when it comes to giants and humans has some point where the humans all team up and go after the giants. Like even yeah, in America, you have the native Americans yep. that, you know, put the that. giants into the cave. Yep. <laughs> like, uh, I, I remember as a kid, I wish I still had this book. I had a book and it was like unsolved mysteries or something like that. It was a very generic title, but, uh, in the book, I a hundred percent recall 
that there was a good chapter about giants in North America and like the discovery of giant skeletons and stuff like that. And, you know, how the Smithsonian came and kind of like did a cover up on everything. Uh, so funny enough, I was able to find that book um, and I bought that book and that chapter doesn't exist in the book anymore. Oh, <laughs> covering up history again. Yeah, I, I, gave, I had that book. I, I had my mom look for it at the house where she lives because she has all my um, old books and I couldn't find it. And I, I found it online and I ordered it because I remember the cover and it, do, it has pretty much everything but that portion about the Giants. It makes you wonder, like, again, how much, how many are trying to hide it. If it's like, if they are theoretically like some kind of like royal blood bloodline, like a lot of people like to try to believe if they are Nephilim, things like that. It makes you wonder if um, people who may share the DNA who are on the human side are trying to hide these things. Or again, if it's just them in particular, um, because I mean, assumably they they have some sort of intelligence if they've been able to hide themselves this far along. And if they are the men of renown, the old rulers back in the day, like, you know, even in Egypt, they'd always do these drawings where like the royal ruling class was a lot bigger than the average people. Yeah. You know, they have more than enough capability to probably be able to hide themselves and to be able to cover up stories and hide stories. Yeah. And I remember in the, the book too, funny enough, uh, the, it actually provided a reason why the Smithsonian was covering it up. And it was because, uh, not necessarily like to hide like bloodlines or anything like that. It was because the simple fact of, uh, during that time they had established like what the evolutionary, like chain of events was like of how man or how life started to when man, how man arrived and the discovery of these skeletons completely upended this entire theory of evolution. So in order to like, basically say prevent them from saying they were scientists at large from saying they were wrong and having to completely rewrite the entire you know evolutionary timeline they created they collected the skeletons destroyed them and or squirreled them away see that's like a common thing with a lot of these stories is that people think that there's some you know like ruling class elite that may be trying to hide this stuff and i'm not saying that that may not be a possibility but more often than not it seems like it's more so just one when it comes to history that the people who wrote the books don't want their name taken out of the books because then it's like their life work they get thrown away um because of course like part of the whole reason why they're collecting the history is because they also want to have their name marked down in history and then once you have generations of people doing that you have their predecessor their predecessor they're still trying to protect those names and as far as like coming into the military, for example, you know, people may think it's like, oh, they're trying to hide Sasquatch. They're trying to hide Dogman. They're trying to hide this from us. It may not even be that case either. It may just simply be the fact that I'm assuming that if you see something weird like that, they probably want you to write up some kind of report. So it's just probably trying to avoid having to do all the extra work. So it's not <laughs> yeah. some giant cover up. It's just that people are trying to keep it to themselves so that it's they don't have to deal with all the extra parts of it. <laughs> Yeah, and so, like, I've pointed this out to, you hit the nail on the head. It's honestly, like, you'll hear these stories, you know, like, this soldier sees, like, this family of Sasquatches from a helicopter, and it's like, hey, what, what is that? And the sergeant will go, like, don't, you didn't see that. Don't ever, don't, don't mention this right now. Uh, I know what you saw, but don't, don't ever talk about this again. And people will be like, see, the sergeant knew it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. Like, no, it's like you said, the simple fact is nobody wants to deal with explaining that their soldier, like, claims to have seen Sasquatch like nobody nobody has the time to deal with that in the military or like you know if I'm your soldier and I tell you I saw something you're, you're you ha you would theoretically pass it up to the like you're my team leader 
you'll pass up to my squad leader, who passes it up to the platoon leader, who passes it up to the, I'm sorry, platoon sergeant, then the platoon leader, then the first sergeant, the company commander, like up the chain of command. Well, eventually someone's going to get to that point and be like, I- I'm not wasting the next person's time with this. This is, no, we're not doing this. Uh, and so like it simply just gets lost in the bureaucracy of things and things get covered up by the simple matter of nobody wants to deal with it. I'm sure some of it too, like the one you're talking about earlier when you're doing like a practice that if they find, even if it's just a person out there, they probably have to shut everything down, check the area, make sure the person's not there. So the other reason for that is probably like, oh, you saw something weird. Keep your damn mouth shut. So we don't have to stop everything and check the entire area and essentially waste three more days of work just trying to scan the entire area to make sure nobody's in here and everybody's safe. Especially having to stop your training to go look for something that may or may not exist. (laughs) Especially if you saw a ghost or something like that. Because I mean, like when it comes to you know, like a Sasquatch, for example, I mean, that's something that turns into a whole other can of worms, you know, like, you know, it could be a really big guy, it could be this, but if you see like a ghost, for example, and you know, it's a ghost or some kind of like floating image of somebody, then it's like, not only do you not want to have to shut down the practice, but you don't want to try to explain to somebody that you saw something that's not even like physical in this reality to begin with. <laughs> exactly. And so like, I like to tell people like Occam's razor works works both ways and sometimes the simplest answer is there is no no nefarious like ulterior motive it's just simple human nature see and on top of that too i mean there may even be some like secret organizations that are kind of hidden within things too that may be operating in the same facilities too so i mean not some kind of like necessarily like a giant cover-up but like they have their own secret programs they're working on and then you have the standard military members so i'm sure they also kind of get the whole thing in their head of like again paperwork like oh you don't want to do all this paperwork so they just let it slide because maybe there are a handful that may know that maybe like there is something weird in the area and that's why the base is there in the first place because i've heard a lot of people have made made theories about that but again maybe it's more of like a local cover-up than like a huge government conspiracy cover-up you know or it's like just complete subterfuge too. Like you know, as has come out uh, with like declassifying documents, is you know the government you know did claim that a lot of things were UFOs when in reality it was their own tech to like dissuade people from looking for it. So like, who knows? Like you know maybe like these pl- these bases that like oh yeah there's Bigfoot and like a demonic witch in the woods. Maybe it's all like perpetuated on purpose to keep people away from looking for something or if they see something like maybe they weren't supposed to, you know, you can write it off as like the local legend or something like that instead of like something very physical and real. Oh yeah. I mean, even just like if you do see a bigger guy that's out in the middle of like a training area, I mean, it's kind of been like a common trope forever that every government wants to create some type of super soldier. I mean, (laughs) maybe there's a possibility that it's not necessarily a Sasquatch, but rather maybe somebody that was getting experiments run on him in the area. But again, I'm not trying to get too crazy off into the woo woo, but just other more realistic (laughs) possibilities, you know, other than, you know, just going right off the bat and saying that it's a Sasquatch out there. It could literally be somebody that, is maybe even wearing a new type of suit, for example, that they want to test out. It's like some type of like ballistic suit or something, you know? Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, it's like the people that saw the F-117 stealth bomber, like the thing doesn't look like it's a regular aircraft. Like we're used to it now because it's been like so perpetuated in our media. But like, you know, I forget the dude's name. He was at Dolce, New Mexico. Um, What was the guy's name? Anyways, like he claimed to have seen like UFOs and hangers at Dolce, New Mexico. Well, he saw the F one one seven. He saw like the B two stealth bomber, like these aircraft that were beyond top secret. 
And I, uh, JJ Abrams UFO actually has like a really good point where they bring in the, the Air Force counterintelligence officer assigned to him that was basically like kind of like coaxed him into thinking he saw UFOs to like basically hide up the fact that they had these super secret stealth planes there. When it coincidentally, when that guy created like went off and started researching UFOs, was able to find legit evidence of UFOs that the Air Force couldn't explain away as being aircraft or their tech. See, that was the other thing that I was thinking too, is if one weird UFO scene that isn't government, isn't a government uh, tech, uh, then I wonder if they will also test their equipment to kind of just trail behind it because they'll assume that everybody thinks it's the first thing and then they just take the opportunity to be able to test out other stuff that they've been wanting oh, yeah. to test out. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, I definitely could see that happening. But it, it goes back to like this, somebody taught me this adage about like, you know, when it comes to looking at all this stuff, it's like Bigfoot. All, there's how many casts of, of, you know, supposed big Bigfoot prints? There's like thousands, right? Yeah, easily thousands. <laughs> so like, he, I, I was basically told like, you know, when it comes to the stuff like that, you have to assume off the bat that every single one of them is fake. Because if even one of them is real, if even one of them is a real print of Bigfoot, then you have to assume every single one of them is real too. I mean, that, oh, that yeah? also could throw it off too, where again, even if, exactly. if all of them are fake and one of them is real, that still means that there is something weird going on. <laughs> exactly. So what's uh, the evidence of absence is not the absence does not mean absence of evidence. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just to kind of bounce in even what we were saying earlier too, I've talked to a few people about this on shows now that uh, when people are doing Sasquatch research, that they'll like go past an area, they won't find anything. And then they'll come back onto the same area and they'll follow their same tracks back. And then there'll be like a footprint that's across their footprints. And again, kind of bouncing into the possibility that it might be military testing out some kind of specialized suit. Um, I know that that is usually like a military thing that if you're following behind a group in order to make them paranoid, what you'll do is like leave one footprint across their footprints so that they know somebody's there, but then they start freaking out and slipping because they think somebody's there and you'll maybe be in a totally different area at that point. And I mean, just like a lot of the stuff that Sasquatch seem to do in certain areas seems like it has some type of uh, like play in the military. And I mean, that could be just generations past now and that that's just something people have intentionally learned. Yeah. Or again, maybe it's testing out some type of a new suit, for example. Yeah, now I'm on, the, on the flip side, I've had definitely plenty of stories that, uh, you know, where military members on like training events, you know, encountered something that was basically like a Sasquatch, you know. So, like, it's like, who knows? Maybe the, it's, it's probably, I, honestly, it's, I, it's probably a mix of every is what, what, everything what we're saying right now. It's probably a mix of like you know humans doing like technology things and phenomena that we have yet to explain, and it's also they're mixed in the middle. Oh yeah, easily. Unless, that's like it's got to be a mix of all of them for the government. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. I mean, that. talk about a perfect cover up though. If you know that there is Sasquatch legend and you make the bottom of some kind of bio suit look like a giant footprint, you're in, in a weird way kind of covering up your own tracks as you go along. <laughs> Because people are going to connect it with some other phenomenon, not actually you testing out a suit. <laughs> I remember uh, what was uh, it was um, I forgot the dude's name, but there there was this town that had these like that always reported seeing uh, like giant penguin footprints in the the beach, and like something like sixty years later, this guy came forward and it was like, oh yeah, it was me. I, I made like, these giant penguin footprints to walk around and mess with people. Dude, that guy, oh, he was doing it for, yeah, like 60-something years and just finally told of it on his deathbed. And they were like some giant, super heavy footprints that he created and had enough of 
a want to do it that he did it for 60 years like that's crazy <laughs> I, that's like some, some straight up you know that's like some legit like dedication <laughs> right <laughs> it said I, hopefully there's not more people out there like that i mean i'm sure that there is other people that are intentionally doing stuff just to troll with people but my my hope is at least again at least one of the thousand footprints are a real footprint and I mean, speaking of that, oh, yeah. since we've kind of been bouncing back on the whole Sasquatch <laughs> phenomenon, I got to hear some of these stories, too, that maybe bring some validity to the Sasquatch phenomenon. Because me personally, I love the whole Sasquatch thing, and I don't want to completely oh, disprove yeah, everything. But I am a healthy, oh. healthy skeptic, so it's like I like to kind of see things from all angles and not just instantly be like, it's a Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I love the Sasquatch phenomenon. That's like one of the ones I, I truly believe, like there's something there. Just with, you know, the amount of people that have seen what they've seen, the, all the stories that match up. The historical record of the same type of sightings from like Teddy Roosevelt to the ancient tribes that inhabited, you know, North America. All the uh, uh, Vietnam vets, too, that talked about the stone apes, even like the yeah, Viet Cong, I, uh, like everybody talking about those things like they were a normal yeah. thing to see. <laughs> or like, you know, uh, Marines on Guadalcanal during World War Two reporting seeing, you know, ape like creatures running around in the in the jungle and stuff like that. Uh, I was on another podcast. And I have to find what I read. But just to get sidetracked real quick, you know, like, there's so many undiscovered species and offsets of humans and primates that, like, we'll just never know about. For instance, I think in one of the Pacific Islands, when the Imperial Japanese Army landed on one of these small islands, uh, they discovered a race of pygmies. An undocumented, like, unrecorded uh, pygmies that lived on this island. Well, you know, they wiped them out. They killed them all. So, like, and they burned down the villages and destroyed everything. You know, just because that was kind of like their ideology at the time. And we'll never know, like, who these people were. I don't or, understand like, it, here. so destroy it, right? <laughs> exactly. Or, like, you know, uh, in Hawaii, right? Uh, the Menahune on Oahu are treated like spiritual creatures, right? Like, they're spirits. If you go to Kauai, they're treated much more, uh, much more like physical beings. Like, I've been to the ruins out there that people claim were Menahune, you know, and that on Kauai, the Menahune were a pygmy, a race of pygmy people that existed on the islands before the Polynesians. And when the Polynesians landed, inevitably came in contact, a conflict with the Polynesians. And I mean, that's so, one know. of those things too, that there is scientific documentation of if something exists in a small island chain, that they will get smaller in order to make it so that there's more food available on the island. Like you've seen like yeah. the, the tiny elephants they supposedly had in like Indonesia, for example. I mean, it completely, it, it's been seen in science before. So, I mean, theoretically, it could definitely work for people too, especially being on Hawaii, being there for generations and generations. The smaller you are, the less food you consume, then the easier it is to live on the island to begin with. Oh yeah, so fun fact too, one of the one of the last kings of Hawaii or princes of Hawaii, I believe it was Kamehameha the second. I can't remember, but uh he ordered a census of the islands. And and I think this was in like either nineteen or eighteen ninety eight or nineteen oh two. Uh on the island of Kauai, that I think there were two to four people that identify themselves as Menahune. It's recorded in the sen the it's recorded in the census. There were I believe it was four individuals that they talked to that identified themselves as Menahune. So it makes you always makes you wonder. I wonder if it's if like their height too. I wonder if they were like direct descendants or if it's yeah. one of those things that there probably was people if if the islanders originally 
took over the Menahune, assumably there probably would have been some kind of like breeding going on back and forth between them too. So I wonder if it's like, you know, usually Polynesians are like really, really big people. I wonder if these people could have been somewhere kind of in the middle. So it would have been like that small DNA with the big DNA. And then it would kind of even out and make maybe more of like an average size person. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good point. I don't know. It's interesting, but yes. Sorry to get sidetracked. I get you. Uh, I'll give you a big switch story I have right here. So this is in um, my book, uh, the second book I have, uh, Tales from the Grid Square, Volume Two, which uh, I'll, I'll talk about at the end. So this is um, this is called the Standoff. So 2006, Fort Lewis. I was part of First Special Forces Group Airborne, and I was previously deployed to Bosnia and Afghanistan. I was an 18 Charlie Special Forces Engineer on the team. We have been conducting an exercise pertaining to patrolling, react to, and break from contact drills during PMT, otherwise known as pre-mission training, prior to our scheduled deployment to Iraq. We were in one of the remote areas of Fort Lewis that, as it was available last minute to do this training. We were near the town of Rainier and Yelm in an area called Skukumachuk. This was very remote and in the quote-unquote shadow of Mount Rainier. During the nights, we would go 30 to 30, we would go 33% security on our patrol base. We kept coming into contact with something that none of us could figure out. We would see figures and shapes moving and could hear foliage snapping. Fort Lewis is cloudy 90% of the time, so night vision goggles are nearly useless, but we had them. The thermals at that time were decent enough, but burned through batteries very quickly and were also extremely heavy. So we left them in the arms room. We thought it might be local hillbillies and rednecks up to no good tracking our movements. A full dozen auto M4s with lasers, optics, night vision goggles, and radios are worth a lot of money. We had bears, lard, cat, and other wildlife that, so we all carried two magazines of unaccounted for ammunition just in case. We eventually went to 50% security, and our team sergeant and commander decided the training was over. The liability just wasn't worth the squeeze of what we were seeing in the woods. The order was given, and the active mags were loaded, but rounds were not chambered. We picked up our tracks in the trail we came in on, but my senior said something was off. Locals are out here with us. Someone was walking around barefoot in the middle of the night, which at first seemed entirely possible. Strangely, upon further examination, the footprints were either much bigger than our own feet and imprinted into the ground in a way that suggested that whoever left them was much heavier than us. Again, that you're probably thinking now, again, what you're probably thinking by now, we all agreed it, that it had to be locals running around barefoot in the woods messing with us. The opportunity for a little payback to mess with the locals was too good, so the, too good of an opportunity to pass up, so we picked up the trail and tracked them. As soon as we realized our error in the identification, we began to smell it before we found it. Like the sickly sweet smell of rotten flesh, wet dog fur, and shit. Green Braid's supposed to eat things that'll make a billy goat puke, but this thing was rough. Me and the other teammates dropped rucks and scattered ahead while the team set up a linear counter ambush in a cigar-shaped patrol base. We came upon a clearing in the forest similar to a deer or elk bed down site, with the tree limbs and brush laid down in the type of deliberate shelter. This looked exactly like the bed down site we were taught to build when going through the special operations qualification course. The smell made us want it to leave immediately. But what was even scarier was that the limbs that were broken off these trees were all around twice our height. I noticed hair similar to an elk or deer, and upon a closer examination, it was brownish and reddish in the meager light that I could see, but it was coarse and thick like the hog of, like hair of a hog. We threw on our ropes. We reported back to what we saw. Everyone was thinking it, but no one was going to say it. It would, have been dark. it would be dark for a few more hours while we weren't shying away from a fight. We decided that a warm, dry team room with beer and pizza was better than the field. We threw on our rucks and patrolled out to the nearest road, which was a way off. We could all hear and feel we were being followed, but at a distance. We knew that it slash they 
were there and they and felt that it slash they knew that it that they that we knew that they were there too. You could feel a level of mutual respect in the mountain air. They must have known that we were different from the other humans because of the way we moved slowly, tactically, and conserving our energy. We were ready for a fight if it came to it. We had worn out our welcome in that remote training area, but if it came to a fight, we each had about 60 rounds between us, and we all knew how to use it. Just as it got dark and the nerves were on the breaking edge, we saw headlights on the road, and it was an LMTV. We flagged it down and got a ride back to the compound. I still believe we fumbled into the territory of more than one Sasquatch, and if we had acted up differently, it would have ended badly for both sides. Whew, that's one of the really good ones because they do all it seems like they usually do live in groups so that just makes it that much more interesting and the fact that they usually have specific areas that they kind of stay in like i'm surprised that they didn't start having any type of like crazy rock throwing or anything like that at that point <laughs> now i've I, I haven't had anything like recorded but i have heard of like that occurring out there you know i also find that whole area like interesting that, that i was expecting more stories from fort lewis considering it's in the Pacific Northwest. I've only heard like secondhand stories of like the Sasquatch sightings people see up there and stuff like that. I mean, that might even be one of those things like you said too, that maybe like the military members will tell their family, but not expect to really tell anybody past that. And it takes yeah. the family members sharing the story over the military member because they don't want to necessarily be attached to it. True. And it's the person that's the family member that's into the topic or into the phenomenon. And they're the ones that end up sharing it. <laughs> yeah. And so like that story is similar to another so there was an old blog called Ranger Stories from Hell. And this was like in the dawn of like the internet before like, you know, there's Facebook and everything like that. And it was supposedly a blog about all these special operation members and ranger, ranger back guys that told all these crazy stories of their time and service. And some of the stories were like of a paranormal nature. And one of them was about um, a company of rangers out doing training um, and tra like fighting against each other. So one company, they're basically like trying to like kill the other company in like a fake scenario and they had set up an ambush and they're sitting there waiting and they see someone coming down like this path and they're all sitting there waiting like they're going to ambush this thing and as it gets closer they start smelling like this like horrible smell like this like wet dog nasty garbage rancid smell and as they're, they're sitting in an ambush in an l-shaped ambush so you have you know some guys along the road and other guys like off in a line and they're all watching, or I'm sorry, in a V-shaped ambush. So they're all like spread out into the woods in like an arrow pointing down the road. And they're all watching this thing like coming down the road. And it gets, it looks like a man at first and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like they see this huge shadowy figure walk into the middle of their ambush, stop, and like kind of like look around. Like very apparent that it knew they were there. Like it was letting them know it knew that they were there. And then just continued walking like as if it was nothing. And that was like, they all knew like that was Sasquatch. <laughs> Dude, it's one of those things too that a lot of people claim that you can't shoot at these things just because their eyes look too human. Um, so I mean, like you kind of bounce back and forth on that because assumably if you're somebody in the military and you're just running a practice or something, you don't want to accidentally fire on a person that may just be like a really tall person, for example. But like out of curiosity, at least from you collecting stories and stuff, maybe in like active war zones or something, have you ever actually had any stories of anybody actually like shooting on a Sasquatch? Like I, uh, no, nothing like that. I have surprisingly now that you say it, like, I think I'm not, most of the stories, especially in active war zones are like, you know, people see it, but it's like one of those things, like, you know, you see it, like say a Sasquatch peek out behind a tree and then dip away, you know, um, 
like at that point, would you like tell everyone you saw Sasquatch, or do you focus on like not trying to get killed by the Taliban? I mean, the other uh, side of it too is that if you shoot, if you fire, then you're going to give out yep. your location too. So you don't, exactly. you want to not shoot unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> I have heard of. I have never got anything directly from the sources, but I have heard second and third hand accounts of like people seeing stuff at night and then engaging it at night, like being caught by surprise by a massive man running out of the woods and then like engaging it. And the guy runs away. Um, I, uh, it's funny cause I get like, you know, I mentioned all these meme pages, right? There's all these like, you know, supposed pages that are ran by special forces members and stuff like that. Um, you know, and every now and again, they post a meme about the giant of Kandahar or something referencing giants in Afghanistan. And I'm just like, what did you mean by that? And now all these guys claim to still be in. So, you know, they probably saw some stuff. But, just, you know, those those organizations are extremely tight lipped. The one I got from the one guy, I've vetted that through a couple other people. It sounds legit. I think the guy was retired and just didn't care. I think he said when he was like in the 2006, he was already sitting near 20 years in service. So, like. He had been retired for a long time. I wonder if it's one of those things, too, that they know how dangerous that area can be. So it may not even be, again, some giant government cover up, but rather they know that if they start reporting too many stories of giants, that there's going to be civilians trying to find a way to get there. And then they're going to have people getting hurt in the process of it, trying to look for giants in the middle of the desert. And if you're a military member and you see a human walking towards you in the middle of the desert, you know, if you're looking through like a through, through, through your scope, for example, and you're looking th- at it through like thermo or something, you can't necessarily tell like what the person necessarily is wearing or looks like. So again, if you bring too many civilians into this area looking for this phenomenon, there might be people that get caught in the crossfire unintentionally, not True. to mention all the dangerous people that are living there to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I definitely can say it, it, so it's not hard to get on a lot of military training areas. It's because it's, they're so massive. It's not like you can put a fence up. Uh and like most you can just walk on in most places there'll just be a sign that says federal property no trespassing uh and when i was stationed at fort drum uh the like the m- couple months before i got there they had uncovered an entire hippie commune living in the training <laughs> area like like 30 people living in the training area off grid like that had just been hidden and the only way they got caught was because they blocked the main tank trail like the main road that goes into the training area protesting the military <laughs> and you know that like i my friend was the one that like was stopped by them and he's like what are you doing here this is the active military base i love how they're living against, against like the military month. but yet they're living on the military base you think they would have chose somewhere else to be and maybe just came and protested there later on like why would you live yeah. and protest that close to where you're trying to exist <laughs> yeah i was like yeah that's not they cost you and the crazy part was i believe they might have been living in the impact area where like bombs are like actively hitting you know there's there's places where like the bombs are concentrated at right but they like for safety reasons block off this huge area and so like there were people that like legitimately lived in the training area but like like we're not gonna go in there and get them because there's all this unexploded ordnance you know so it's like what like what are you doing out there that's like way overly risky at that point you think you just go live in like a national park <laughs> yeah like oh yeah it's crazy i was uh, when i was overseas in bulgaria there was people that uh, it was like same scenario, but it was a Bulgarian military base and like, you know, like I'm watching like this guy walk his sheep into the training area and like his little campsites on the other side. And like as he's walking his sheep, like on the other side of the training area, they're shooting rockets and artillery. And like I, we can, we're all watching him like, you know, 
like definitely probably right outside the kill area just like not even caring like what the hell <laughs> casually just walking by you could tell he's used to it at that point <laughs> yeah i don't like we tried to tell him when he came back like what are you doing like don't go over there like like go th- like don't and he was just like oh yeah, whatever it's no big deal like, <laughs> like i do this he was like i mean i didn't we didn't understand him because we didn't speak bulgarian but it was more like I do this all the time, kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, there's certain things where you don't necessarily need to speak the language, know what they're saying. I'm sure it was just the casual, like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Completely understand what he's saying, man. That's that's crazy, though. <laughs> oh yeah, we were trying to like like translate and tell them like, no, no, don't go over there. <laughs> so, um, I guess starting to kind of wrap up because I know that you said you only had about an hour, hour and 15 or so. Um, I would definitely love to have you come back on because I'm sure we barely even scratched the surface as far as the interesting stories you've collected. Um, but before we start wrapping it up and you tell everybody where you can find your books and find all the different stuff you do, uh, I usually like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So <laughs> if there's any words of wisdom you could bestow on the listeners, be it serious or funny, what would it be? Okay. Uh, let me, ooh, let me think about this one. All right, I, I got a word of wisdom for everyone. So no matter how much uh, social media or the media or just society at large tries to tell you that the world is an awful place and is full of negativity, all I'll say is, you know, if it truly was nothing, if truly everything was awful and nothing mattered, the propaganda to convince you wouldn't be necessary. So the world is not as bad as what it is. Again, it's just like it's like nature. There's going to be good and bad, but like awful things happen in the world, but there's also a lot of good that happens and we just tend to focus on the bad. Ain't that the truth? Talk about the news too. They do the same thing. You never hear about anything yeah. good happening. You only hear about the bad because that's the message they want to bestow. But again, like there wouldn't necessarily be a reason to cover all the good because the good only is good to the person that it's happening to realistically. Yeah. I, I'll just say life is truly worth living is like, you just have to be, you just can't be afraid to live it. You know, and if your life is truly worth living, like we said earlier in the show, don't point any lasers at any UFOs. Yeah, don't point any, don't point any lasers at anything, anything in the sky. Don't point lasers at it <laughs> for your safety and for theirs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with that, of course, uh, I'm sure that people would love to read your book, considering how many fascinating stories you have on it. And I'm sure that there are probably some active military members or some non-active military members that would love to share some stories with you. Uh, so, where can people come and find your books? Where can people come and find your page? And where can, can people come and uh, share their stories with you if they want to share them with you yeah for sure so uh if you want to come talk to me on the page so i am found on tales from the grid square on instagram uh so that's t-a-l-e-s underscore f-r-o-m underscore t-h-e underscore g-r-i-d-s-q-u-a-r-e tales from the grid square uh, I should pop up or uh, you can. So if you have a story, you just want to talk, whatever, please give me a follow. Send me if you have something you want to share. I do collect non-military stories uh, for a future uh, volume that I'll release of like non-military stuff. Uh, so feel free to share. I love just reading stories to begin with. Um, but you can DM me your story on Instagram or you can even email me tales from the grid square, all one word at gmail.com. Um, you know, if you're interested in my book, please uh, buying the book helps support me. I was the one that put it all together. So I compiled it with people's stories, organized it by, you know, branch of service locations. Uh, there's even some foreign military stories in there from like people that were in the British army or the Canadian military. Uh, even like I have one or two stories from the Russian army. Um, but those are some weird ones. <laughs> yeah, those are definitely some weird ones. Some definitely, some definitely int- against the grain usually. Um, but uh, Tales from the Grid Square Volume 1 and Tales from the Grid Square Volume 2 are both found on Amazon. All you got to do is search Tales from the Grid Square by Nick Orton. And uh, the first one will pop up. 
It's because it's I, I think it's hit the the revenue it needed to make it to the search bar. But if you can't find it, just always go just go filter by books and all, and you'll be able to see both. But again, that's Tales from the Grid Square Volume One, Tales from the Grid Square Volume Two, both on Amazon. Each one contains over two hundred thirty. Uh, stories from across the military service and foreign militaries. Uh, it's, volume two sits around 250. Volume one sits around 240. Um, and the whole book was compiled by me, put together by me, uh, edited by me, published by me on uh, Amazon. So if you support the book, it helps support me. Uh, it's just a fun little project. I'll be do- keeping it to keep doing it in the future. So, you know, and uh, yeah, just. That's all I got. <laughs> and of course, uh, for anybody that wants to find everything quick and easy, I'll include your Instagram and links to both of your books so that people don't even necessarily have to do all that. They can just click a link and go and scoop them for themselves. And uh, just out of curiosity for any of the listeners, if they bought your first two books and they're looking forward to the next one, uh, do you have any idea of when you might be releasing a next one if you are planning on releasing another one soon? Yep. So the goal is I wanna, I'm want i going to try to release it yearly. I will try to have Tales from the Good Square Volume 3 out by like May or the summer of next year. Uh, so I have pretty much enough stories right now to do Tales from the Grid Square Volume 3. And if I wanted to, I probably could pump out four uh, at the same time. So I have I have more than enough stories. Um, and plus some other stuff in the works that hopefully the listeners would like. Um, so I'm, I'm out there. I'm a little all over the place. They'll just have to follow your Instagram to stay up with those updates. So everybody, don't forget to go and uh, follow his Instagram. <laughs> And uh, with that, man, I appreciate you making the time to come on. I'm glad that we finally made this work. And uh, hopefully we can set something up again and we can have you back on in the future. Um, I also do do another show called Bizarre Encounters. I'd love to have you on. But you're a really interesting guy to talk to. Uh, You're easy to talk to. So I'd love to do some more stuff with you in the future. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to come back on. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to review or rate the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five star, of course, I will read your uh, review on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And uh, don't forget to share this episode with a friend if you think that anybody will really enjoy it. It's a good way to help the show grow, makes it so that uh, you know it gets more listeners. It's a chain of events. They share it with more people. They share it with more people. And it's going to make it so the show just keeps continuing to grow because I'm not going anywhere. And I want to see the show get to its full potential, uh, make it so that I give the perfect platform for anybody that chooses to be a guest on the show. And in turn, by you guys re- uh, sharing the show, reviewing the show, doing all that kind of stuff to make it so the show gets pushed up a little bit more in the rankings and stuff, it'll make it a little bit easier for me to get even bigger guests on the show to bring even more awesome content to you guys. But the only way I'm going to be able to do that is with your guys' help. So don't forget to do one of the three things that I mentioned. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, be it uh, you want to be a guest, uh, you want to share some art with the show, uh, maybe you want to sponsor the show in some way, shape, or form if you have something that has something to do with uh, the topics that I talk about on the show, or just plain and simple, you guys want to just have a conversation with me, get to know each other a bit, and uh, maybe even be a guest or just you know contribute to the show, just have a conversation, any of that. Don't be afraid to get a hold of me because I'd love to talk to you guys, and I do respond to every single message that I get, so don't think I'm ever going to ignore you guys. So you guys can do that through messaging me on Instagram, which is the form of social media that I'm the most active on. You guys can also even message me on the Telegram or the Discord. Those are definitely viable options. Even Facebook, of course. Or you guys can email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. And if you guys email me, just make sure that you guys check your spam or junk folders, make sure nothing gets missed because I do send out a lot of links. So for whatever reason, most email servers think that... Uh, I'm spam because I send out links. So it is what it is. Just make sure nothing gets missed because I respond to every single message that I get from you guys. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available 
down in the link tree, down in the show description. Or if you don't want to go down there and click that, you guys can always go to L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiries of our reality podcast. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc